Good morning. It's great to see everyone here this morning. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas celebrating the birth of our Lord, but it's nice to be back to be able to spend some time worshiping the Lord who was born, but who was crucified and is risen. So uh, it's great to see you. If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. We are going to be in the book of Exodus this morning, Exodus chapter 33. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 23 in our time together this morning. So again, Exodus chapter 33, 12 through 23, and I'm going to pray as you make your way to Exodus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather. Lord, the fact that we can worship you freely is a blessing. And Lord, I pray that we would not take it for granted. Lord, as we dig into a passage with that really shocks us, rattles us into just how great you are. God, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, that we might behold Christ. As we just have sung, our, our hope is on the fact that Christ did not save his own life, but gave it up that we might have life. His wounds paid our ransom. And so, Lord, I pray you would speak now for the glory of Christ, and it's in his name that I pray. Amen. So Exodus chapter 33 is where we're going to be this morning, and before we get into the passage, I need to kind of set the stage, what's been going on in the book of Exodus that has led to this moment in Exodus chapter 33. If you're familiar with the book of Exodus at all, it is the story of Israel's departure out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery to the Egyptians, and God miraculously delivers them. And time and time again, God does the miraculous. He brings them out with uh, the plagues. He separates his people. He brings them out. He leads them through the Red Sea. He renews the covenant with them, gives them the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, and he has promised to go with his people into the Promised Land. He is going to be their God and they're going to be his people. A people that is separate from the rest of the world. And after having been brought out of slavery, out of Egypt, led by God through the wilderness, Israel does the unimaginable. They fall into heinous sin, committing idolatry with the golden calf. Which really just reminds us, we, we can often say, well, if I saw the same things that they saw, right? If I could just see God split the Red Sea, then I would be obedient for the rest of my life. But what we see is Israel saw God do spectacular things, and yet their sinful heart still was drawn away from Him. They fall into idolatry with the golden calf in chapter 32 of Exodus. So immediately preceding our passage in Exodus 33, while Moses is on the mountain speaking to God on their behalf, they are below committing sin. And this leads to, to divine punishment in the form of a plague, but also more importantly, we read in verse 3 of Exodus 33, God say to Moses, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. 
So God is going to keep his promise to Israel. He's going to bring them into the promised land. But he's not going with them. That which distinguishes Israel from the rest of the world has been forfeited. The very presence of God is going to be taken away from them. And it's into this story that we enter this morning. So hopefully by now you are in Exodus chapter 33. And I'm going to start by reading verses 12 through 17. We read this. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, this is God speaking, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. So Moses is the leader of the nation of Israel. And as the leader, he is concerned with the good of his people. He knows that they have sinned grievously. He is not ignorant of what has been going on. And now he's interceding, literally standing in between God and the nation of Israel, pleading to God on their behalf. Now we read in verse 11 of Exodus chapter 33, of the intimate relationship that Moses has with the Lord. It says that the the Lord spoke to Moses. He meets with Moses and he speaks to him as a man speaks to his own friend. So this deep, this intimate relationship that Moses has with God is what leads to the intercession. But it's very interesting And it's crucial for us to see that just because Moses has this deep relationship with God, he doesn't presume that God's going to answer his prayer. How can we see this? Look at his appeal. His appeal to God is not based on his own merit. It's not based on what he has done. He does not mention the fact that he just stood before Pharaoh It does not mention the fact that he just led the people out into the wilderness through the Red Sea. If I'm honest, if I was appealing to God at this moment, that would probably 100% be what I appeal to. God, come on now. Do you not just just see me, right? I stood before the most powerful man in the world because you told me to. Do you not remember I I led this nation out? Come on, you, you owe me one. And yet, his appeal to God is not based on any of this, but based on, he appeals to the very Word of God. The basis of his prayer is what God has already said. What God has promised 
to do. He knows God has promised to go with them into the land, to bring them into the promised land. In fact, in chapter 32, while Moses is still on the mountain, and they are committing the sin with the golden calf, Moses appeals to to the covenant made with Abraham and Isaac to Jacob that took place in Genesis. That was the basis of his appeal then, and he continues to make this appeal now. When he prays, he, uh, he prays based upon the Word of God. So let me ask you this. When you pray, do you presume God is going to answer your prayers because you come to church regularly? Because you've been a Christian for years? Because you served on this committee or that committee? Your father, your grandfather was a preacher or a deacon. And so you come to God as if He owes you something because of who you are. Or when you pray, do you appeal to the Word of God? Moses does the latter. But look what he says. He says that I have found favor in your sight. Yet you've said, I know you by name. And you have also found favor in my sight. So how is this accomplished? How is this accomplished? Surely it's everything that Moses has done so far. Surely if there's anybody in the Bible that has earned the favor of God, it's Moses. But that's not true. According to to Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 makes explicit what is implicit in in the book of Exodus, namely that the basis, the foundation upon which every action of Moses goes from is faith. If you remember Pastor Daniel's sermon series through the book of Hebrews, when we come to chapter 11, the refrain is, by faith. By faith, Moses led the people. By faith, he did this. By faith, he did that. Faith is how he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It was not his previous activity that led to this bold request, but it was his present faith. Now, this is no different than how we find favor in the eyes of the Lord today. You do not find favor in the eyes of God based upon what you do, but faith in Christ. The only difference between us and Moses is that his faith was looking forward to God in the future going to bring about a redemption of His people, and we have the blessing of looking backward and seeing that accomplished in the person of Christ. But faith is how we find favor in the eyes of God. But look at verse 13. There's There's such a crucial lesson for us to learn. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, which, according to verse 12, He has, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Do not miss the lesson here. Genuine faith leads to a desire to know God deeply. Show me your ways, God, in order that we might live lives to please God. That I might find favor in your sight. Because of his faith, he'd already found favor in the eyes of God. But because He believed in God. The desire of his heart was to know God more in order that his life might reflect that. To live a life that is pleasing to God. So an authentic Christian will live to know God in order to live a life that 
pleases God. A child longs to please his parents. He'll wash the dishes, he'll clean his room to please his parents. Not so that he can become part of the family, but because he's already a part of the family. And he wants to please his mother and his father. In the same way, if you are a follower of Christ, your natural desire is to please God. So ask yourself, do I live to please God? It's a hard question. But if you take a look, you could give an answer. With the conversations that you have with your friends, with your family, with your coworkers, would they please God? Would what you watch on television or on your computer please God? Would how, how you spend your time, how you spend your money please God? Moses' chief desire is to know God in order to please God. Is yours? And yet it's in these moments that Moses is consistently thinking not only about his own good, but the good of the, the people as a whole. So when God answers him and says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest, this seems to answer Moses' appeal, but yet he presses on further. Now why would he do that? Was was Moses not paying attention when God was speaking? Was the game on until he just kind of checked out for a second and then came back and said, oh, what did you say? Let me, let me make sure. No, it's because the, the word you here in this text is, is generic. It's ambiguous. It's not very specific on who God is talking about in this moment. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses said, great, who are you talking about here? Are you talking about me, or are you talking about everyone? He wants to make sure that Israel is included. But before we look at this statement, just think of how staggering this promise is from God. God promises Moses to go with him and to give him rest. That is staggering. And yet, as we continue in the story, we're going to see that ultimately this rest isn't going into the promised land. After all, God gives Moses the promise, I'll give you rest, but Moses doesn't make it in the promised land. So this rest needs to be something more than just land. But this concern Moses has for others, do you share that same level of concern? Are you content with your own salvation, the fact that you are fine with God, while others that you know, that you work with, that you live around are on their way to hell. We heard a much needed reminder last week that we are to be a praying people, and we are to pray for the lost people that we know. Even if it's just one person, we are to be committed to praying for them that God might save them. Are you burdened in such a way that you cannot rest until that individual hears the gospel and is saved? Moses is burdened for the nation of Israel. Think of even Paul in Romans chapter 9. He says that, I have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Why? 
He says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. Why? For the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul goes so far as to say, I am willing to go to hell if it means Israel is going to believe in Jesus. This is how seriously he longed for the salvation of those that are around him. Do we share that same level of concern? Do we feel that burden? And look how God responds in verse 15. Or excuse me, how Moses continues his appeal in verse 15. He says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. He says to God, if you're not going with us yourself, we're not going. The presence of God is what sets Israel apart. If God is not there, if God is not with them, then it is not the promised land, it is just land. The promise of God is the presence of God. This is what separates Israel. This is what Moses longs for. God to go with them. So Christian, when you... When you think of heaven, what do you think of? What makes heaven, heaven? Is it the reuniting with lost loved ones? Family members who have gone before? Friends, dear friends that have gone before? Is it the absence of pain and and suffering? The absence of sin? Is it beautiful landscape? Is it your favorite hobby? Or is it Christ? Samuel Rutherford, who was a, a pastor in the 1600s, I believe he was in Scotland, he once said, Oh my Lord Jesus Christ, if I could be in heaven without thee, it would be a hell. And if I could be in hell and have thee still, it would be a heaven to me, for thou art all the heaven I want. Heaven would be hell if God was not there. So in your heart, do you agree with that statement? Because I've said this to the students before. You can look me in the eye, you can look Pastor Daniel in the eye, and give us the right answer. You can tell us what we want to hear, but in your heart, do you agree with that statement? That if you could have everything you wanted but lack Jesus, you don't want it. Because Christ is the goal. Do you so crave and long for the presence of God in your life that you refuse to move until He says, I'm going with you? Moses was not concerned with the land flowing with milk and honey if it meant forfeiting the presence of God. He wanted the giver of the good gift and not just the good gift. Are you content with the blessing of God apart from the presence of God? It's a wonderful question to ask looking into a new year and especially coming off of Christmas. Where's your treasure? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But look how God responds 
to this request. This pleading from Moses. Verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. God will go with His people into the promised land. He will make them distinct from every other nation in the world. Not because they're great, but because He's great. Not because they have it all together, but because He is good. And it's at this very moment, God has answered the request of Moses. You would think that Moses is, all right, we're good, we're all set, thank you God, I'll leave But no, Moses lays out this massive request at this moment. He's like, you've said yes to everything else, one more thing. Look at verses 18 through 23. Moses said, this is, is, again, staggering. This is right after God says, I'm going with you. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, this is God speaking, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. God has been incredibly gracious so far in answering every request of Moses. So Moses makes a bold move. He wants to know the ways of God in order to please God. But now he asks for the big one. Show me your glory. He wants to see the glory of God on full display. Because keep in mind what Moses has seen thus far. He saw the glory of the God in the bush that burns and was not consumed. He saw the glory of God in the plagues. He saw the glory of God in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that led them out. But now he wants to see the unfettered, unrestrained glory of God. And do you see how how God answers? God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Every part of the statement is crucial. We cannot miss it. How is the glory of God going to be on display for Moses? Not in sheer light, not in sheer weightiness, not in majesty, not a show of of power, of authority, but in the goodness of His mercy. The glory of God can be supremely seen in the sovereign mercy of God. He says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Mercy is not owed to anyone. Perhaps this is one of the biggest lessons that needs to be learned afresh in churches. God is completely independent. What does that mean? 
That means he is under no obligation to anyone for anything. He doesn't owe you anything. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've received the mercy of God in the blood of Jesus Christ, you are to be thankful and worship because he was under no obligation to save you. He didn't have to. We don't add anything to the glory of God. He is perfect apart from us. He was perfect in eternity before. He'll be perfect in eternity future. We need to learn again Paul's statement in Acts chapter 17, 24-25, when he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. The breath in your lungs right now is the gift of God. Your ability to come and sit in the pew where you are sitting is a gift from God. The Bible we have, not just the Bible itself, but the access we have to the Bible is a gift from God. He owes us nothing except what our sin deserves Namely, death in hell. That's what you deserve from God. And this jostles us. This shocks our system because we've grown up with a domesticated view of God as nothing more than a cosmic genie that lives to answer our desires. God is nothing more than a cosmic bellboy. When we want our pillows fluffed, we pray God is to come right down and do it. That's not the God of the Bible. God will be gracious to whom he will be gracious. He will show mercy to whom he will show mercy. Your status, your position, your possessions, your good deeds do not impress God into being merciful to you. And on the flip side of that, your lack of status, your lack of material wealth, your lack of possessions, your lack of good deeds, your sinful life, does not hinder God from being merciful to you. He is merciful by His own sovereign choice. And if that's not enough, look what He says. Verse 20. But He said, You cannot see My face, for man shall not see Me and live. Much like the previous statement, this overwhelms us. Or it should that this God is so great, so magnificent, that if we were to catch a sight of the face of God, we would die. Is this the God that you worship? Is it the God that is infinite, bigger than we can even begin to imagine? That coming into His presence would disintegrate us. And yet, when he answers Moses, he says that it is, it is his goodness that will pass before him. Matthew Henry notes, God's goodness is his glory, and he will have us know him by the glory of his mercy more than by the glory of his majesty. I think one of the best descriptions I've ever come across when thinking of just how big God is and yet His goodness to us is from the, the beloved children's book, The Chronicles of Narnia. 
Hopefully you're familiar with that. Actually, brought mine up here with me. I want to read a passage. Hopefully you're familiar with the story. I don't often bring anything other than a Bible and notes up here, but I thought this would be necessary because I want you to get the full, full idea of just what is said. So hopefully you're familiar with the story. C.S. Lewis, um, it's page 75. This is a, just such a wonderful description. Lucy, who is the youngest, speaking of Aslan, he asked the question, is, is he a man? asked Lucy. Aslan a man? said Mr. Beaver sternly. Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are taking the children to Aslan. The fact that there's talking beaver kind of gives you an idea of the story as a whole, but fantastic. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. The God we worship is bigger than we can imagine. This should cause us rightly to tremble as those who have come into the presence of God in Scripture have fallen on their face. No, he is not safe, but he's good. He's our refuge, He's our strong tower, and His glory can be seen in His goodness and showing mercy to those who do not deserve it. God's glory is His goodness to His people. So even though Moses cannot see his face and live, look what God said He's going to do. Verse 21. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand. And you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. In order that Moses might behold the glory of the Lord, God will hide Moses in the cleft of the rock. He will cover him with his own hand until he's passed by. And once he has passed by, he will remove his hand that Moses might be able to see the Lord's back. In his grace, Moses will see the glory of the Lord, but he will not see his face. Moses was willing to risk his life in order to know God in a deeper way. Do you get that? Moses agreed to continue on, even though he's already heard, if you look at my face, you're going to die. He was willing to risk his life, and yet I fear many of us won't miss a football game for the opportunity to know God. We won't give up our hobby, that work extra opportunity. We're content with where we are when there's an infinite God 
Ray to be pursued. And think about what God is doing here. Moses is being protected by God from God. God himself in his mercy is protecting Moses from what he rightly deserves. The just wrath of God. Protected by God from God. Can we think of another moment where this takes place? That on the cross, Jesus, the Son of God, bears the wrath of God in full that those who believe might receive mercy. In Jesus, we have the protection of God from the condemnation of God that we might receive salvation from God. And yet Jesus is all over this story. Go back with me through this passage and see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ on full display. In Christ, we do not have a fear of losing the presence of God. The central concern is that they would move and God would not be with them. And yet Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. We don't have to fear losing the presence of God. He's going to be with us. In Christ, we have rest for our weary souls. Not in a temporal land, but in salvation. It says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For my burden is easy, my yoke is easy, my burden is life, and I will give you rest for your souls. This is the rest that we get to have in Christ. In Christ, we not only have the forgiveness of sins, but we have the favor of God. To be adopted into His family, an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. We are His children. And in Christ, we can look into the face of God. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Christ, we can look at God in His face. God has made a way for us to look at him face to face. And in eternity, according to verse John 3, 2, when he comes, we shall see him as he is. No fear of dying. Christ has come not only so that when we look in the face of God, we, we just won't die, But those who look upon Him in faith will live. Will have life. John 3, 14 and 15 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. We look in the face of Christ and live. So if you've never come to Christ, if you've never believed in His name for the salvation of your souls, do not put it off because if there's one lesson to be learned 
from this is that God does not owe you another opportunity. God is being gracious and you hearing the gospel, the offer of salvation in Christ today, you are not owed another chance. Do not put it off. Apart from Christ, you come to the judgment seat and you look upon the face of God and you die. But in Christ, we have life. In Christ, we have rest for our souls. In Christ, we are shielded from the wrath of God and are embraced in the love and the mercy and the goodness of God. We will behold Him whom our hearts most desire and we will live. Christian, does your life reflect a genuine desire to to know the Lord in Christ and to live to please Him? If it does, your life should reflect that. Are you reading the Bible in order to know God, in order to live to please God? Are you aware that God is bigger than we can even begin to imagine? Because the domesticated view of God that we often have, when we attempt to make God a little bit safer, a little bit more comfortable to our palates, God wouldn't say this, God wouldn't do this, God wouldn't be like that. There's a word for that in the Bible, and it's called idolatry. It's making God in your own image. Is that what you're doing? Or do you know and love and follow the God of the Bible? Are you concerned with the souls of those whom you know that do not follow Christ? Are you burdened in the same way Moses was for the people of Israel, that Paul was for the nation of Israel again? Do you want Jesus more than your stuff? That your desire is to know Christ. And so what makes heaven heaven is to know Christ. So that eternal life can be experienced here and now and will carry on into eternity. Are you hidden in the cleft of the rock that is Christ? He's our hope. He is our salvation the mercy and love of God on full display. Do you know Him? Are you hidden in Christ? If not, you're going to have the opportunity to come to talk to Pastor Daniel. God is giving you an opportunity to know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. If you just want to come down here and, and pray and seek the Lord for any other of the many ways that God has rocked my world through this passage. I invite you to do so. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for who you are. God, you are so much bigger than we could even begin to imagine, and we thank you for that. Lord, I I don't want a God that I can understand completely, because that's a God of my own making. Lord, to see your just sheer independence, that you don't need us, And yet, you want us, and you love us, and you sent your Son to bring us back to you. Lord, that we deserve your wrath, and yet, in Christ, we can receive your mercy. We can look you in the face and live. God, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, you are graciously giving them an opportunity to respond 
you're under no obligation. You will be gracious to whom you will be gracious. You will show mercy to whom you will show mercy. You are giving an opportunity this morning. I pray that they wouldn't put it off. God, I pray that this time would be used to worship you in whatever way that you're dealing with us. Lord, that your spirit would be moving for the glory of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.